So last week, I wrote a piece for Sports Illustrated about a man named Tony Rodriguez. He's a longtime drug addict who, last November, tried saving Tina Tinter, the woman who died in the Henry Ruggs car accident in Las Vegas. And the story was an absolute beast. The plan was to write about Ruggs and Tinter and the tragedy of their lives intersecting. But for weeks and weeks, nothing went right. I got no access, few interviews. It just never came together. But then, pretty much by luck, I found this man, a guy without a permanent home, three years an addict, who tried helping and hasn't been able to come to grips with the aftermath. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is, you never know what your story will be. And maybe you shouldn't know. Reporting is meant to uncover new information, new characters. So try not to approach a piece with a rigid determination of what will follow. Keep an open mind. Pursue different paths. You never know when you'll wind up sitting across from a Tony Rodriguez. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is C. Trent Rosecrans, the exceptional Cincinnati Reds beat writer for The Athletic. This is episode number 254. Let's sling some yang. Dad, your podcast sucks, and you smell like vinegar and cottage cheese. All right, Trent, there's no doubt about it that... Without question, hands down 100% of the 250 plus guests I've had on this show, you have the best beard by far. So I need to know what is the key? Uh, laziness. <laughs> that's that's one of my two answers. I have two stock answers because you get, you know, you, you get these things all the time. Like I'm sure you get asked about Kangol hats all the time. Um, and so like I have my two standard action uh, ones. One is like laziness and which is probably the real one. And the second one I'll just say is fertilizer and usually walk away. And then I want to ask you, I swear to God, I was actually wondering this. I've never asked anyone this. Your byline is always C. Trent Rose. Mm-hmm. Why the C? Okay. So this is a weird family name my, or weird family thing. My first name is Charles. Okay. Um, and in my family, it has gone back. It's like several, I think it's like five or six generations. I don't know. Every firstborn male is Charles and has a different middle name. Every other generation goes by their middle name. So my dad was Chuck. Um, his dad was Charles Wayne Rosecrans, and he went by Wayne. His father was Charles something Rosecrans, and he went by Charles or some variation of Charles. Um, and so really it started when I went to college um, and like I got my first bank account. I've gone by Trent my whole life. I don't answer to Charles. Um, if the phone rings and somebody asks for Charles, I know it's not somebody I want to talk to. Um, and so like when I first started, I got my first bank account, the C was the placeholder because some checks would be to Charles Rosecrans if it was official mm-hmm. and others like, you know, like a graduation gift or whatever, it was to Trent. And so that way it had both. And when I started writing, I liked the symmetry better. Now this is, this sounds really stupid, but Rosecrans is really long. It's nine letters. Trent is short. Um, five. The C kind of balances it in my mind. That is the nerdiest thing ever. I totally love it. I'm all in. But like the two capitals. So it's not exactly the same number, but you get the period and the space and two capitals. So it helps balance the first part and the last part. All right. And weird follow-up. Do people introduce you? Let's say you are in a baseball environment where people say this is C Trent Rosecrans or where people say this is Trent. Both. Yeah. I, I get, I get both. And it, it's honestly like, it's almost like if I know you professionally first, it's C Trent or if you read first, but if I introduced myself to you first, if you're like a friend first, it's Trent. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I just, it is the dumbest thing, but it's like, it's been so good. Like, and, and my college journalism professor, uh, Conrad Fink is probably rolling in his grave when he hears me talk about branding because this became like a thing many years ago. Sure. But, but like, this is a serious journalism podcast. These are you and I um, have some time in this business. And the first two things you mentioned set me apart. Like people know who I am because of the first initial and this big, stupid beard. That's very interesting. And so like I can walk in 
And if people know basically who I am, they're not looking around like, who's the dopey white guy losing his hair? It's who's the the big dude with a beard or the initial stands out on byline. If they don't know me, it stands out. And so, yeah, so those are two things. And, and my name is also not like, you know, I'm sure you've met another Jeff Perlman in your life, right? Mayor of Delray Beach. You know how many Trent Rosecrans's I've met? Yeah. Or, you know, I've met a couple of Charles Rosecrans's because, you know, my dad was related to me. But, um, yeah, I don't I've never met another Trent Rosecrans. OK, so do you I um, you mentioned the Kangol. I literally haven't worn a Kangol since 2000. But the reason I wore that hat back then was so people would remember me like ballplayers right. remember me. So do you actually think is there something to be said as loathsome as it sounds to this idea in modern journalism that we need to create our own brands. Yeah. It's so weird because like, to me, like it, it, and, and to Conrad Fink, it would just like, it makes your skin crawl thinking about it, but yet it's, it's, it's in the tool bag, you know? And, and especially as this whole thing evolves, you have to have all those things in your tool bag and to, to have a brand, to have people notice that's huge. Um, one of the first, one of the better things I've done, um, and so I kind of do this as much as I can, and I haven't succeeded all the time, is my Twitter handle is Trent. Simple. Six letters. Easy to remember. Easy to say on a radio or podcast. That's because I joined Twitter really early. You had to join early to get a six-letter handle. Um, and so two parts of this. I try to, anytime I see something new, I try to join and grab C-Trent if I can. I don't have it on Instagram. I wish I did. Um, C-Trent.com, I've been trying to get since 1999, um, and I've never gotten it uh, for a long time. I think now it's just kind of one of those blank ones that people are trying to get money for. Um, but for a long time, it was a Connecticut rental agency, CT-Rent. Wow. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, those are things. And also like, I've told this to so many people, like my name, my Twitter handle isn't C trend at the athletic or C trend at the Enquirer or tied to someone else's brand. Mine is tied to me because employers change. I've worked at several different newspapers. I've worked at newspaper. Let's see, I've been fired. I've been, um, let's see, I've, I've been laid off. I've been, not had my contact track renewed. I've quit. I've had newspapers closed. I've been at the last, <laughs> been in a newspaper on its last day publishing. Those things are may or may not outlast me, but they're not always going to be part of my brand. And I don't want to tie myself to that. And yeah. man, I hate that when we're having this conversation, but it's, but it's real stuff, right? We're two old losers having a conversation about bullshit. Yeah. Yeah which might be our brands. Yeah. Um, wait, I just want to say you and I both July, 2008 arrivals on this thing called Twitter. And I also, I remember signing up for it and being like, what's this bullshit. And here we sit. You know, it was a, um, the one who, the person who really got me to understand it and he was really smart about it. And so early. So um, John Thornton um, played for the Tennessee Titans, played for the Bengals for a long time. He was with the Bengals uh, defensive tackle. Uh, West Virginia, went to West Virginia. John is just a super smart guy. He's now an agent. Um, and we were just kind of talking about the internet and he had a lot of interest in it and, and what was going on. And he watched how like Chad Johnson used it, but this was even before Chad really got into it and John was into it. And he said, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work. This is going to be huge. And I was like, well, how do I use it, John? And how would I use it? And, and, and he really explained it. And so I was like, okay, I'll play around with it. So I got in early because John Thornton was so smart about it. And John is, I think, you know, uh, he's an agent now. He still lives here in town in Cincinnati. Great dude. Just so smart. So smart. So, so yeah, I got to give John Thornton a lot of uh, credit there. Can you be a major league baseball beat writer? Is it possible to be a major league baseball beat writer in 2022 and not be on Twitter? God, I wish it were possible. I'm not sure it is. Um, you know, it's changed. It's changed so many times. I was watching. Um, I'm actually back home right now. I'm not in Arizona. Um, You're slacking. You know. You're slacking. I am. I am. <laughs> um, but I was watching the Reds and Cubs last night. And Boog Shambi, who's, who's, for my money, maybe the best 
uh, play-by-play announcer in, in baseball, was talking about, hey, beat writers, I love you, but stop live tweeting. And it's funny because, like, we've gone through so many cycles online. Like, my first year on the beat, 2007, I kind of got a foot in the door by making sure I posted the lineup on my blog early every day. And then that moved to Twitter. And I did, it was when not every game in spring training was televised or had radio or even had MLB play-by-play. So I did a live blog play-by-play almost, and I got a lot of attention. Now you have Twitter. And if I live blog or, or like live tweet, it's just annoying. And so these things always kind of evolve and you've got to, you've got to try to figure it all out. And so I, I just kind of play with every kind of form that I can. It's, it's, it's been something I've done maybe for my career. I had a personal blog in starting in, I think 1999, maybe. And that was when I first heard weblogs and I was too dumb at the time and too young to really maybe see how, Hey, this could be used professionally. And I could have been on the early forefront of that, but I missed it. So, you know, but, but that's, that's, I think something I learned from. And so I'm, I'm always looking at technology and maybe it's just because I I'm of that age that I enjoy this stuff and I'm kind of always toying with it and playing around with it, but, it, but it's interesting to see. You know, the, uh, whenever I'm asked, I'm sure you get these questions too, like advice for college students, people want to be jealous. <laughs> this is what I always say. This is my new go-to answer. I'm always like, Find what the next technology is and convince people our age that you know how to use it and that they don't know how to use it. Don't you think? I think that's a great one. I mean, mine is more traditional. Mine is always like, write, 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 and then read 10 times as much as you write. That's good too. Yeah, that's good too. Uh, um, But that's if you want to be a writer. And um, one of these days I might be one, but, um, you know. Is there a thing? Is that a thing? I'm actually being serious. So you say, if you want to be a writer. Is there such a thing anymore of entering this business and just being a writer? I don't know. I mean, like, it's funny. I um, like, like who would, who would kind of fall into that? You know, like when we were growing up, like Gary Smith was just. Sure. All those guys were like, uh, yeah. Sports Illustrated was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh man, one day if I could be Jeff Perlman, um, <laughs> but like, or Gary Smith, but like, you know, the, I think you're right. I'm trying to think who it is. Is Wright Thompson the only one? He's not on Twitter to his credit. Right. Yeah. And, but, but he is a writer. Yeah. He is a writer. And it's funny. I, I remember Wright when he was at Mizzou and he was still in, in school because I'm old. And uh, my editor, I was the high school writers at the Athens Banner Herald in Athens, Georgia. And we had an opening and my editor at the time was just like dying to get Wright Thompson. Um, and like Wright went to the New Orleans Times Picayune instead of the Athens Banner Herald, probably a pretty good choice for him at the time. Right. And, but like, I just remember him being like the guy and it was that obvious that, that editor actually could, could spot that, which is pretty amazing. Um, but then like, I remember working with, with Wright on a story about Georgia's baseball coach search. He was the first person who showed me flight aware and tracking a flight. And this is in 2000, 2000, maybe 2001. Um, so it's just kind of crazy. Uh, that, that is a really weird tangent, but like, Wright's the only one I can think of. I don't know everybody else. We have to do something else. Like, look, look at, look at me. I have, this behind me, this isn't my actual setup, yeah. but I have a podcast mic right here that's hanging up. I have a background so that when I do TV and stuff and like, who am I? I cover the freaking reds yet. I have a, I think about it where I have a background. So when I go on TV, it looks okay. And do I write? Yeah, that's part of my job, but I have a lot of jobs. I mean, today, my schedule, I was looking at it. Like I have this at 1130. I have a radio interview at one thirty. I have a meeting with some guy at eight and then I have another podcast at nine 30 and it's like, Oh yeah. And I'm supposed to write and report too. Do you, um, so I'm going through this thing right now 
where one of my books is an HBO show. That's not a humble brag. That's really? Thing. Yeah. Huh? I know. I know. Who would I have thought this? I, Wait, you I think I would have heard way, this though. somewhere? I swear to God, I didn't mean it that way. Though, as no, no, it's fine. Right. And the show's amazing. Thank you. Right. Episode three just aired, and it was so good. They're right. all so good, but like, yeah, it was good. Um, but in my, in my, uh, I have very little to do with the Astro TV show, so I'm like, no. But what I'm saying is, um, I've been doing a ton of interviews about it lately, right? And recently I've been getting people saying, can you come on? Can you come on? And I'm like, I, uh, I don't, I, I'm always like, I'm, if you need me to do it, it's fine. But I'm so tired of talking about the subject. I just am. I'm just going to be honest. I'm really tired of talking about the subject. You've been covering the Cincinnati Reds for a long time. You being a baseball beat writer, even at the athletic, which gives you more sort of leeway is a beast. And I'm speaking as a former baseball writer and a magazine baseball beat writer, which isn't even the same ballpark. How do you still, I've asked this of other guests, but I'm always fascinated by the answer. How do you still give a shit about the Cincinnati Reds? Okay. So that's a great question. And like, think about how the Reds have been in my tenure. <laughs> you know, um, I first was a backup starting in 2003 or four. I don't remember which. Um, it, and then I got the full-time beat in 2007 and I've done. You were at the Cincinnati Post at that point, correct? I was at the Cincinnati Post. Yeah. And so I've done things here and there. Um, I've moved around. I've had a weird kind of trajectory. And that's why, like, when people ask me for advice, it's like, my path doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, and I, I'm an old guy that started out with high schools to a college basketball, to college football, to moving to a place that had a baseball team uh, because I wanted to cover baseball. Um, so how do I do it? The thing is, it's like, it's, it kind of goes to how... Would, this is kind of another piece of advice when people ask me, like, how do you figure out what you're going to write? It's the same kind of thing. Like, if I'm not interested in what I'm writing, how can anybody else be? So, so for me, like, okay, so I have a story that went up today about Joey Votto's bats. I've written three different stories about Joey Votto's bats in the last six, seven months. And it's weird that that still interests me, but that interests me way more than 90% of the regular season games. And like, I'm not as interested in the outcome as the process. And there's always something fascinating in the process. Like Joey Votto, who's hall of fame career has used the same model 34, 32 M three fifty six bat his entire career. This year, he's using something different. And to me, that's unbelievably fascinating. So was that he's probably the last guy in baseball using a bat made of ash. Um, there's always these kind of things. And I've been pretty lucky in my career covering the Cincinnati Reds that I had Ken Griffey Jr., who at that point of his career, Ken and I have just have a fantastic relationship and, and still do. But Ken, like, when in doubt, you write about Ken. Right. And then I went from having Ken Griffey Jr. to Joey Votto, who early was because of his success on the field. One, you know, he came up at the end of 2007. He was the MVP by 2010. And then you discover that, oh, man, this is a different cat. And he has thoughts. And he looks at things differently. And... I go to Joey all the time and just say, Hey, I don't understand this. And Joey will give me something just phenomenal. And like, I don't feel like I'm even doing any work. It's so, so really the answer is if you look hard enough, you can always find something that interests you. And if you don't, then don't write about it. How do you develop? I actually really want to get super, super uh, micro here. Okay. We always talk about developing relationships with players, right? How do oh, you yeah. develop a relationship with a player? And but generally what goes unspoken is there's a real power dynamic to that relationship, which is yeah. Joey Votto is a multi-million dollar superstar, future hall of famer, Cincinnati Reds. You're Trent from the athletic. And while Trent from the athletic has a voice and blah, 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 you do not have the power of Joey Votto. So when you and people in our shoes talk about developing a relationship, is it a, is it a real relate? Like, what does that mean to have a quote unquote relationship with an athlete? Yeah, it's different. It's not a friendship. It is. And in some ways it's transactional, right? Um, 
but it's someone you know and you kind of get to understand and they get to know you. Now it's 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 different in baseball than any other sport. And that's why I love covering baseball. Um, you know, I'd always joke with Tucker Barnhart, who is now with the Tigers, but was been with the Reds his whole career until until now. And Tucker's just a really smart guy, good guy, and a catcher. And I, you know, when you cover football, you get to know the linemen because they know everything. They kind of have a piece of every part of the game. When you cover baseball, you get to know the catchers. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. And so, like, Tucker, I during the season, I would talk to Tucker more than I talked to my wife. So I would talk to him before the game and after the game almost every day. And if – you know, if I'm working until midnight or one, when I would get home, my wife would be in bed and then I would get up early and get my daughter ready for school. And while my mom, my uh, mom, there's a Freudian slip shit. Um, then my wife would get, um, <laughs> my wife would get creepy. ready for work. Yeah. Yeah. It's really creepy. Um, and so my wife would get ready for work and we wouldn't really see each other, but yet at three forty when the clubhouse opened, I'd go talk to Tucker about something. And then after the game, like, Hey, Tucker, how was the starting pitcher? How was this? Or if he had a good game like that, you know, for, for baseball, it's maybe easier to have relationships because you see guys so much and you spend so much time with them. And it's the same, mostly guys. And then real beat guys. And like, you know, not like magazine, you would pop in and pop out. And I, I, I would have trouble with that because so much of my stuff is, based on relationships I have and that I can go up to someone and and this is uh, something I do a lot. And I'll be like, Hey, Tuck, I have a dumb, weird question, you know, a Trent question. And he's like, all right, bring it on. Cause it's always going to be something that's not like, Oh, what was that pitch you hit or what pitch did you call? And so it's helped me that when I talk to guys, I'm always looking for something different. And again, they, they remember that and you find the guys who enjoy that and will give you good answers. The Joey Votto's, the, the Tucker Barnhart's and you just keep going to it. Do you these know, guys care works. about you? Okay. Um, some do, I think maybe um, last month my dad died and Joey Votto sent me a text that night. Oh. I mean, that's, I don't know if that means he cares about me, but you know that on February 21st in the middle of a baseball lockout, um, he had heard that my dad died that day and texted me like, Hey, I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. I hope you're doing okay. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, like, that's just, so does he care about me? I don't know, but like, maybe that's just Joey who he is as a person that he cares about people that he, that enter his orbit. It's it's there's a uh, I remember years ago talking to Buster Olney. Buster Olney used to cover the Yankees for the New York Times. Right. And he told this story about he, um, he covered the Yankees every day. He was in that locker room every single day. And one day I think he had thumb surgery and he shows up with his thumb wrapped in a in gauze and whatever. And he said one guy in the locker room said, what happened to your thumb? And he was saying, like, every day I'm care I'm caring about absolutely every tiny bit of minutia that happens to these guys. And one guy noticed that I had thumb surgery. But the, I think that's a difference between covering the Yankees and covering the Reds. Yeah. You know, um, I, I remember really vividly that when Matt Harvey got traded over to the Reds a couple of years ago, we are in L.A. for his, his first start. And Matt Harvey was, you know, weird guy. He was fine with us. Um, but he was, said, I'm only going to talk after starts. But he was going to talk that first day that he was there where they said, hey, he's going to pitch Tuesday or whatever. Well, actually, let me, I'm trying to remember the story. Now, it was after the game. It was after his first start. And we're all there. And it's actually more than usual because we're in L.A. So they had a camera. They had a couple other L.A. guys hanging around. And he's just kind of standing there. He goes, all right, when's everybody else going to get here? I'm like, Matt this is more than you will usually see on the road. Usually on the road, it's me, Mark, and Bobby. And, you know, Mark Sheldon of MLB.com and Bobby Nightingale at the Enquirer. You're going to deal with me, Mark, and Bobby on, in, 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 you know, Milwaukee in August. You don't have to worry about that other stuff. He's like, oh, 
Huh. And so like, you know, to him or anybody who goes, if you're in the Yankees and, and I remember talking to Andy McCullough about this, the great Andy McCullough, um, he went from covering the Yankees to the Royals, to the Dodgers. And he was like, there's just so much more you can do with the Royals because again, you make that relationship. I I'm, talking to Mike Moustakis the other day about Andy. And I was like, Hey, Oh yeah. Andy was here and he was trying to get you. And he's like, Oh man, how's Andy? What's going on? And, and like, he knows Andy. Um, a- another great story, like kind of like that, because you're in a smaller market, you do it. Um, my 2008, uh, my mom's diagnosed with colon cancer and we're in, it's in spring training. And I know that, Ken Griffey Jr.'s mom had colon cancer. So I go up to Ken in spring. I said, hey, Ken. And like, it was when everybody else was gone. It was a road trip. And in spring, you always, it's always good to stay back on road trips a lot of times. And Ken had a rule in Florida that if there, were, if there was more than one bridge on a trip, he wasn't going. And you had to get, take one bridge to get out of Sarasota, um, at least. So to anywhere. Um, so Ken, I go, hey, Ken, um, what's going on? And he looked at me and goes, what's up? I can tell something's different. I said, my mom was diagnosed with colon cancer yesterday. He goes, okay. He's like, sit down. He's like, here's my mom's number. 513, blah, 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 blah. It's like, give that to your mom. They can talk. Let us talk. So we talked for a while. The rest of that year, at least every other day, if not daily, Ken would be like, how's mom? What's going on? Wow. And so that's the year that he gets traded to the White Sox. Um, he gets traded to the White Sox. And uh, my predecessor on the beat uh, for the Cincinnati Post, Mark Lancaster, um, one of my best friends, and we went to school together. Uh, but Mark was covering the Rays for the um, Tampa Tribune at the time. And so the Reds or the White Sox are playing the Rays. I think they're in Chicago and Mark had covered the Reds. So he knew Ken goes up. He's like, Hey Ken. He's like, Oh, and Ken's like, Hey Mark, how's Trent's mom? Wow. First thing he says. So, but like Ken knew Ken Griffey Jr. Who's dealt with as much, baseball media is anybody of our generation, right? He knew because we're in Cincinnati, he know me. Not only did he know me, but he knew that Mark and I were tight and Mark and I still talk. That's because there's, it's me, Bobby and Mark Sheldon on the road. And, and, and on the road, if you're not on the road, you're not on the beat. I will, for, for baseball, especially if you're not on the road, you're not on the beat. The clubhouse is open longer on the road because the road team takes batting practice second. There's more time. You have more time for conversations. And one of the underrated things about being a baseball beat writer, and it's funny because like I've listened to your podcast a lot and everybody's like, oh man, I'd never do baseball. I don't know that I'd do anything, but because you have so much time that those guys have 25 other guys on the team that they spend so much time with, they kind of get sick of them. They hear the same stories and they hear the same things. And so, especially with a beat like the Reds, they start talking to us. I know about those guys' family. Jesse Winker, who's now with the Mariners, but Jesse was like, hey, how's how's Lou, my daughter? Right. And, 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 and because it is us and we're kind of smaller, that happens. Does that happen if you're covering the Yankees? No, no, not at all. Before we continue with Two Writers Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my daughter, Casey, and I am so frustrated by my dog, Poppy. Why? She refuses to wear this Doug Flutie jersey I bought her at royalretros.com. I don't understand. Have you tried explaining it to her? I mean, she's just a dog. Poppy, listen to me. I know you've been frustrated by the past wardrobe choices. The thong was definitely a bad idea. So were the platform boots. But this jersey was special ordered for you, Poppy Perlman, from RoyalRetros.com. It was made with the finest materials and symbolizes a glorious period in American sport. Now will you please go into the bitch's fitting room and try it on? That was amazing. Finally, your tuition dollars pay off. I uh, I remember um, Sean Casey inviting Hal McCoy oh. to his wedding. And oh, being like, Case is the best. 
Case is one of just the most friendly, genuine people in the world. Like he he has both like crushed my hand in a handshake because he's a big dude and just like a big, powerful, like he's like a Labrador retriever that just is like, hey, you know, you don't know how big I am. My, my chocolate lab, who just doesn't know how big he is and will step on me all the time. Right. Um, so but but Case will do that and he'll either like, oh, brother, and like slap your back really hard or hug you. I've gotten like a hug from case or a handshake. That's just really hard. And and that's where a guy who was kind of perfect for the environment, he was great for the reds. He was the mayor because he loved everybody. Right. And, and that's case. And, and so like Cincinnati, it's a pretty good place to be a ball rider. So, so one guy I've always heard was difficult and you may disagree and tell me I'm, I'm nuts is Brandon Phillips, the former uh, red second baseman. That could be a really tough guy to cover. And I wonder how, do you cover a guy in a small market who can be an asshole might be too strong, but can be very difficult. No, it's not too strong. Um, There was a point in 2007. um, I guess it was, it was April 15th um, because it was uh, Jackie Robinson day that he was just an asshole after the game. It was a one, nothing game. Something happened. And I was doing this thing. Like, and it was like, I'm asking a story are asking a question about, um, oh, like him getting a good jump on a ball or something, like on a, a read as a base runner. And he was upset because that was the first day that 42 became a thing. It was 2007 mm-hmm. because Ken Griffey Jr. called Bud Selig and says, hey, can I wear 42 for the anniversary of, of, of Jackie Robinson? And so we all talked to Ken beforehand. And then after the game, Phillips just goes, why don't you ask Junior? Because he was jealous of Junior. I'm like, what? And like, he just wouldn't go on. I'm like, all right, you know what? There's 24 other guys in here. I don't need you. I, I, I think th- I've heard this story attributed to Phil Rogers that one time somebody said, a uh, player said, I'm not talking to you anymore. And Phil Rogers says one down 24 to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like for Brandon, I didn't talk to him forever, no matter what he, what happened, because I didn't need it. I didn't need it. I can do my job without him. And so I did. Does for, it for a while. What's well, interesting. Like um, I know there've been writers, especially in New York through the years. I say that because I grew up in New York um, where well, I'm not talking. Billy Martin was managing the Yankees back in the day. Well, I'm fuck it. I'm not going to talk to you or Bobby Valentine. I'm going to talk to you. Um, as a writer, isn't it in your best interest to have Brandon Phillips, a very good major league baseball player, talk to you? And Great. therefore, are you supposed to are you supposed to give up on that, or do you try every now and then? Uh, we had our points. I mean, I had a long relationship with Brandon. Um, and there are points where I wasn't going to, there were points where I'd try, there were points where he'd try. And at the end of the day, like I can do my job without Brandon. Now, if it were Joey Votto, whoo, <laughs> I might, you know, I might go hat in hand and uh, I don't know if I would be able to do my job as well without Joey Votto. I could do it without Brandon Phillips. It's, it's, you know, there, there are certain guys, we had a Brandon Phillips bingo game that we'd play. Every quote, it says kind of the same things, you know, um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, there, there were a couple others. We had a bingo game. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, to tell you the truth. I mean, those were in every answer. And it's like, what am I really getting here? Um, I can't play bingo with Joey Votto because Joey Votto, I mean, I never know. That's why I love going to him because I never know the answer. I hate when I ask, there's nothing worse than me going to someone and asking a question that I know the answer to. That's the most boring rote shit ever. I want to ask a, I want to ask a question that I don't know the answer to. I want to learn something. And so I try to learn something every day. And I know that's hard and that doesn't happen every day, but it's really like, that goes back to how do you cover the Cincinnati Reds for however many years you try to learn something new every day and you ask questions. You're just curious. And that's, that's what I try to do. Could you cover, let's say uh, there was a beat open up at the athletic to cover pumpkin patch picking and you would have the same access and it's in Ohio. Could you get the same joy 
covering yeah. pumpkin patch. You could. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because like, and, and again, I, I've covered baseball pretty much exclusively for, you know, I would say the majority of my career. But like, I remember my first real beat at the student newspaper and at the red and black at the university of Georgia was the women's gymnastics team. Now look at me. How much gymnastics do you think I know? A lot. Yeah. I really got into it. It was great. Uh, then I did women's basketball. I hate basketball, but when I was covering basketball and then I covered UGA men's basketball at one point for the banner Herald, I got into it because it was almost easier because I know a lot about baseball. I grew up loving baseball. Like there's my whole life. I love baseball. Um, people ask me when I got into baseball, it's like, well, you might as well ask me when I got into breathing. I don't know. It's everything I remember all my life. I've just loved baseball. So it's almost easier sometimes if you don't assume because, because so often you assume your readers know something like today, a friend of mine said something on Twitter. He's like, wow, I had never heard of barrels as a statistic for baseball. And when you get so deep in the weeds, I assume every reader knows what a barrel is. Right. Um, even though I did explain it in the story. Um, and I, I, I tend to every time, but like it blows my mind that somebody had never heard of barrels, but you know what? 90% of the readers never have. And I get, you can get too tunnel vision. And a lot of times that's on the beat too. Like you're like, well, I wrote that story five years ago. Why would I write it again? Oh, because my audience is completely different. Right. And things have changed. And so like, you know, recycling stuff, like there's a story I love that I did for the Cincinnati post in 2007. And I'm like, I've, it's just basic stuff and it's nothing any like special. It it could be used covering any baseball team. And I was like, I can't do that again. Why not? I mean, that publication doesn't even exist anymore. Um, I've worked for several newspapers or well, I guess one newspaper, but I've worked for several different entities since then. Um, Why why wouldn't I rehash it if I made me interesting? And, And like the people I'm asking about are all different. You know, there's nobody around from them. Right. That are still with the Reds. So do you, um, how many games a year are you going to attend ish? I mean, at the athletic, it's a little bit different. Um, if there's 162, 120, 130, 140, you know, a, a substantial amount. And do you still get, you walk into the stadium. Do you still get the feeling yeah, you know, a lot of times I do. Um, and, and like, sometimes I do try to remember it. Like, I remember the first time I stepped on a major league field. Well, when was it? It was um, April of whatever it was. I guess it was April 6th, 7th. I should know of 1999. Um, it was the, the 25th anniversary of Hank Aaron's. Uh, 756. So it would have been early April. So, you know, 23 years ago. And I was at the Athens Banner Herald and my boss knew I love baseball and want to be a baseball writer and was like, Hey, I put in for a credential. And I was like, okay, awesome. Go write something off this. Like (gasps) I'm on a major league baseball field. And it's not like, I mean, Turner field was what two, three years old then. Um, it's not like it was Royal stadium, which I always grew up about playing on. It was a major league park. And I was just like, this is major league grass. And there are still days, a lot of days that I walk out there and I'm like, this is big league grass. This is like, this is pretty cool. And, and so I, I, I try to remember a lot that this is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, it's interesting. My, uh, I have a 15 year old kid. We go to a couple of angels games a year, a couple of Dodger games a year, a couple of Padres games a year. His friends have zero interest in going. My son usually by the seventh inning is kind of like, all right, we can go now. It's really an experience for us about sitting and just talking and walking around and sitting in the highest seat in the left field, then sitting in the highest seat in the right field. Um, I know very few people his age or my daughter's age. He's a college freshman who give a shit about major league baseball. And it does feel 
from afar that the the sport is sort of struggling to hold on to even not to hold to gain young fans right. to groom them i mean actually that's probably a bad word right no now. but right i know what you mean yeah, yeah, yeah. do you think baseball is doing something wrong or do you think my perception is wrong um i mean i i don't think baseball does as good a job and i think a big part of that is baseball fans like you know, yesterday, Jason Stark had this great story about how they're going to move the base, second base in the minor leagues in the second half of the season and that they did last year. And he tweeted it and it's like, hey, you know, this is some context. And everyone goes, oh, my God, they keep messing with the game. And he's like, could, could you read the story? Because in the story, it talks about how it's always been messed up anyway for like 100 years and what they're trying to do is make it make sense geometrically. Um, the, the, the DH in both sides. Now, traditionally, like I'm against the DH in both sides, but you know what? I'm not going to get up in arms about it. I, I, I Like think about all the changes that have happened in basketball and football, and they do so much more radical changes. Like the, you know, like the NBA, you once at one point you had a le- what was called a legal defense. And we have hand-wringing in baseball. And I think that's just part of baseball. And maybe it's because of a big part of baseball is like what you said, is just the dead time and sitting around and talking and thinking. And that's what can make baseball great. And that's also what makes it really could be terrible. So I don't think you're wrong. I see it a little differently here because I'm in Cincinnati. And like um, I know a couple of kids in my, my daughter's class. She's 10 who will pepper me with Reds questions. Oh, that's cool. And they know who I am because I cover the Reds and that's like the coolest thing ever. So like, you know, I know Jack Samad knows everything about the Reds and he'll ask me why they traded a Eugenio Suarez and, and like he, like what they should do to replace Jesse Winker's production and, and Jack's 11, you know, <laughs> 12. And so like, I know those kind of kids. And so I think perception's funny thing, isn't it? That's what we see. And though I do know that there's a larger problem and the sport has many issues and, and that is chief among them is the average age of their customer. Like yeah. newspapers. Another yeah. thing I love. Yeah. I do long for, I will say, I long for the, um, I grew up as you did in the era of Ricky Henderson, Tim Raines, Vince Coleman, stolen bases, clouds of dust. I do long for the stolen base to have a more profound place in baseball again. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we grew up in the watching baseball in the eighties. Oh my God. The Cardinals. How fun were they? I mean, I was a Royals fan growing up, Um, but man, like Willie McGee and, and Vince Coleman. I mean, just, I mean, I, I think, I think Ricky Henderson might be one of the coolest men who ever lived. Um, all that stuff, just, I love it. And I love that style of baseball. And like, there's a thing where intellectually I understand why baseball is like it is now the three true outcomes because like, and that interests me in an intellectual level, but man, show me a triple any day. And and I'm excited. Like there's nothing I love more than a ball off the bat and kind of watching the ball watching the outfielder and watching the runner go and be like, is this three? It's yeah. my favorite thing in, in, in baseball and pr- probably in sports. It's where that, like, is he going to go in that spot where he's rounding second and decides to go? And you're like, okay, it's on. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite thing. And it's awesome. I agree. And also give me uh Willie Wilson heading for third, Mookie oh. Wilson heading for third, Ricky heading for third. It's just it's different. Level. Willie Wilson. Oh, man. Have you ever, I mean, have you ever watched Willie Wilson high school football highlights on YouTube? Oh, yeah. He was ridiculous. Unbelievable. I know. Um, I know. Yeah. George Brett told me he's the best athlete he's ever seen outside of Bo Jackson. So, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's, that's quite the, that is like the coolest sentence in the history of the world to me. Yeah. Like as a kid who grew, who was born in 1975 and grew up a Royals fan. Um, like you can't get a cooler sentence than George Brett told me Willie Wilson was the best athlete you ever saw other than Bo Jackson. <laughs> I should end this podcast. Cause I'm not going to be any cooler. Um, <laughs> you, um, you alluded to this in 2007, you were writing for the Cincinnati post and the paper died. Um, mm-hmm. 
What is it to be working for a newspaper as it dies? Uh, it's it's really interesting because not only was I there when I died, when it died, when I went to work there, it was terminal. On my interview in 2003 or four, I don't remember now because we're that age, right, Jeff? Where it <laughs> all seems like one. But I went there and they said, hey, we're probably closing when the JOA ends on December 31st, 2007. If you come here January 1st, 2008, you don't have a job. Wow. I'll take it. And I'll take it. Well, I mean, for me, it was pretty simple. Um, you know, I was at a paper in Decatur, Alabama, covering the University of Alabama, living in Tuscaloosa at the time. Um, I was there for eight months. Uh, but salary? Not counting. Remember your salary? Oh, the salary. Day. I got a big bump from my previous job. I was at 27, five. Um, up, up from like 21, I'd gone from, when I started at the Athens Banner Herald, well, Athens Daily News Banner Herald at the time, the Daily News closed, um, but it was an afternoon and I, I'm so old. I worked at three different afternoon papers. Um, the Daily News Banner Herald, I started in, um, well, I was part-time in 97 and I got a full-time offer and job accepted at the week of graduation in 98 and it was 16.5. Sweet. And, and oh, the best part is, is we were part of Morris Communications, which was just, it's one of the few places that well, I, I would say it got better when Gatehouse bought it, but I, I don't think that's accurate. Yeah. Um, but it was headquartered in Augusta and Billy Morris had a private jet. And what they would do for University of Georgia football games is the jet would fly from Augusta to Athens and there would be like one person from the Augusta paper. And then they would pick up the Athens paper people and we'd fly from there to like Fayetteville, Arkansas wow. for, to cover the game. So yeah, I'm making 16 five and I'm like walking off a private plane. So weirdest thing um, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore, but like, it's so weird. And then I was at the Decatur, Alabama paper. And then I came to the, um, to the post. And the reason I did that was because I always wanted to cover baseball. I love baseball my whole life. Like I said, and I was like to cover major league baseball, you've got to be a place where there is major league baseball. Yeah. And I had done some like, you know, fill in for our guy at Morris news service covering the Braves back when Morris news service staffed and had their own person. Um, and so every once in a while, when Bill Zach had a day off, the someone from the Banner Herald would go over and do a notebook and game story for for the Braves. So I got to do that starting in '99. Um, went to the All Star Game that year. Um, did a couple of different things, and um, I knew that to to cover baseball, I had to go somewhere where there was baseball and. and Mark Lancaster, one of my best friends, like I mentioned before, was already at the post and they had an option. Uh, they had an opening to cover Xavier basketball. I said, hell yeah, I'm in, man. Let me, let me interview and do it. And it's not because I was getting a baseball job. It's because I was getting a job in a baseball city and I needed to do that. And so I got there, I covered Xavier for eight games, two coaches, two athletic directors, never covered a home game. Then switched to, I was the UC beat writer and I covered UC for, it was two years, two football coaches, two ADs, three basketball coaches. And um, then uh, Mark got a job in 2000, at the end of 2006 covered in Tampa. And I got the Reds beat. I was the last Reds writer for the Cincinnati post before it ended and, um, yeah, so it was like, Hey, you get this job. You took this chance and you have it for one year. Were you hoping some miracle would happen? Or did you know this paper's dead? I, I, I was pretty sure it was dead. There were always these rumors. And this is funny. This is one of these things like the rumor and the hope that some people had, but most of us knew was not going to happen was that George Clooney was going to buy it and make just is an altruistic thing because he, you know, he's from this area, his dad, George or um, Nick Clooney was a 
columnist for us. Like he was a local TV guy and would do a weekly column. And, you know, this is good night, good luck era. And you're like, wow, he really knows the importance of local news and it's his hometown and, and maybe he'll do it. And some people held on to that. Most of us knew that was a really, really, uh, <laughs> that, that, that was, that was improbable, improbable. And you've never watched a George Clooney movie since. No, man, I'll watch George Clooney movie. I didn't, unfortunately I watched Leatherheads, um, okay. but you know, um, you listen to this podcast. So actually, before I ask you this, let me ask you this. I'm going to give you a trivia question. Okay. I have an article you wrote 2001. Oh, you're doing Braves. Uh, you're doing some Braves. You oh, have to fill in God. the blank. You have to fill in the blank. Okay. <sighs> this is your lead. Oh, why, Jeff? That's cruel. No, this Damn is you, Nexus Lexus. Dateline Atlanta. All this time, and the answer to the Braves' batting slump was blank with a question mark. Who was it? Eddie Perez. I'm sorry, it was Bernard Gilkey. Ooh, Bernard Gilkey was a pretty good player, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't remember that he played for the Braves. He did. But you covered him. Um, wait. So um, you listen to this podcast. I always have yes. to ask this. What is the, uh, give me the worst, lowest, most confrontational, whatever, fill in the blank moment from your career as a sports journalist? The most confrontational? Like, this is pretty easy, right? Go ahead. Um, it's the, it's what's known as the 77 F-bombs, right? Google Brian Price 77. Tell the story. Well, it actually started in St. Louis the night before as a Sunday night game. And um, well, actually, it started before that. Um, I, I shared the beat with John Fay, and we were splitting up a road trip. So I was going to St. Louis to cover St. Louis, Milwaukee. And I guess they'd been in Chicago, maybe. Um, well, it wouldn't have been Chicago because John didn't want to go to Chicago. I always got all the Wrigley trips because Wrigley's the worst. Yeah. Um, so I'm in the airport going to St. Louis to, to, to meet the team. And on my flight to St. Louis is Devin Masaraka, who had been on the injured list. And I tweet, well, Devin Masaraka headed to St. Louis. Uh, and Brian was a little upset that day when I got there. He was like, why would you do that? I didn't have a chance to tell um, Kyle Skipworth, who was the guy on the, roster who had been the backup catcher at the time um, that, that, you know, Devin was coming back. Cause he was like, thing was like, I'm not going to tell Kyle that he's going down until Devin's here. And I know that we will. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's not my problem, man. Like just, that's just not my problem. He's there. I tweeted what I saw and I reported what I saw. And so maybe it was Tucker Barnhart. And Devin was later, but anyway, it was one or the other. And um, so I go to, I go to St. Louis and Brian's upset about that. And I'm like, Hey man, that's not my problem. Like d doesn't, doesn't Kyle Skipworth read that, that Devin Masarocco is coming back and he kind of knows where he is in the pecking order. And Kyle Skipworth did not, not a dumb guy. So he kind of has the ass about that. Masarocco had been dealing with some stuff. And they lose in St. Louis on, I think they either got swept or lost two or three in, in St. Louis. And, and so the Sunday night, there was a point where there was a left-handed reliever or no, it was a, it was a right-handed reliever came in and Mazzarocco who had been an all-star um, had pop could have come in as a pinch hitter. And I go, after the game, I'm asking, I'm like, Brian, why, why didn't you use Mazzarocco? Was it a right, right thing? He's like, no, um, no, that, that wasn't it. And, 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 and to his credit, Brian didn't lie. He just didn't answer the question. Right. So, I mean, you know that your spidey sense goes off. Right. Like, I go look around and we go from Brian's office into the clubhouse. And I notice that where Mez's locker was the chair, it's empty and the chairs in it. That means the guy's gone. Yeah. And it was getaway day. So a lot of guys don't do that, but guys were still showering, getting ready. And so I go up to another player, player I had a really good relationship. And I go, Hey, your name will never be associated with this, but Devin wasn't here. Was he? He's like, no. So I write, 
this was a perfect spot for Devin Masaraco. Only problem is Devin Masaraco wasn't in St. Louis. Well, that pisses Brian off. And he's mad about that. And he's like, you know, they could have had an advantage. It's like, well, the series was over, Brian. I wrote this after the game. Like, I didn't know this. They didn't know this. And they probably did know it. They had clubbies. You know, everybody talks in baseball. That's why it's the greatest game to cover. So the next day we're in Milwaukee. And um, Brian's like, let me ask you something. And this is before it all started. We had our recorders on before we asked any questions. And then he goes on this tirade where he's just mad. And uh, and it is like 12 minutes and there are no other questions. Uh, he's like, he's not going to answer any questions. And it's just like 10 to 12 minutes, maybe a seven minutes. I don't remember where he just goes off. And like, I had never heard Brian cuss before that. Mm-hmm. And 77 F-bombs. <laughs> I, <laughs> this is really one of my things I wrote that, Someone had a problem with, but I thought it was hilarious in the story about it. I wrote that um, 77 F bombs because, you know, I transcribed the whole thing and then I did F U C K and search and replace or just search and it said 77. So it's great, great, easy. And then I did shit. How many things? And it was like, oh, um, uh, what was it? It was like uh, three references to animal feces parentheses two bovine, one equine in parentheses. That's awesome. <laughs> and like, go on. And like, cause I'm describing and, um, and it was just one of those where you just sit and you wear it. And, but I'm like, all right. And, and, and to his credit, I mean, Brian was still mad. He never apologized to me. And it was one of those things where at the point he's like, your job isn't to find out everything out about the Cincinnati Reds. And I was like, no, Brian, that's precisely my job. Right. And like, so, if you listen to it, I think the tape's out there somewhere. Like, I'm just kind of like listening, like, how can somebody so smart be so dumb? Right. And, 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 you know, there's also another confrontation I had with Brandon Phillips that's out there as well. Um, also in St. Louis. So nothing good ever happens in St. Louis um, where, you know, He's yelling at me and there's that fine line and, and you've, you, you know, this is, well, maybe better than anybody. There's a fine line between standing up for yourself and escalating the situation. Mm-hmm. And you have to straddle that because especially as a baseball beat writer, you've got to stand your ground and say, you're not going to push me around, but you also don't want to escalate it. Right. And it's, it's, it's really hard to do. And I'm, it's one of those things where like, I wouldn't think I would be good at it, but in the moments that I've been tested that way, I'm pretty proud of the way I, I responded. Wow. You've never gotten your ass kicked by a ball player. No, not yet. There's still time, Jeff. There's still a lot of time. Okay. Um, man, that's really good stuff. Uh, 77 F-bombs has to be a major league record. So you're you're the DiMaggio of F-bomb recipients. <laughs> you know, there's it, it, it's no Lee Elia, but it's, oh. it's in the top, or, or maybe, I mean, like, it's up there with Hal McRae. Yeah. Um, speaking of great Royals, yeah. Earl Weaver. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's up there and, um, it was on me and you just, you just wear it. Totally. Um, well, see Trent, it has been, <laughs> I just wanted to do that. It has been, uh, a delight having you on. I'm a, uh, you admire of your work. I think you're one of the oh. excellent baseball beat writers of my, of my time. I got to say, I'm allowed to kiss your ass a little bit. No, but like, okay. Okay. And and I'm going to get like real here. I was having one of the worst days of my life last year. This weird how the world works. Yeah. Like it's, it was so bad. I just started walking. And Trent doesn't like to walk. No, actually I love walking. Yeah, me too. Um, It's, it's the best. And so I was on a walk, not knowing where I was going, just wandering like, thinking everything in the world, having just a breakdown. And like, I have this huge imposter syndrome. Like I don't think I'm any good. I still don't. Um, And I was like, Oh crap. Everything's falling. Everything's falling apart. Everything in my life. And so I'm just kind of walking and I get a couple dings on my phone or check my email. And I see, I 
subscribe to the Jeff Perlman newsletter. I was like the top, whatever beat writers. I was like, Oh, let's see where Gould is. And I look at it. I'm like, wait, I'm on this. What the hell? What's wrong with Jeff? <laughs> um, I, I think I tweeted at you. Like I used to respect you. <laughs> um, and, but it was just one of those things where it was like, it was funny because it was one of the lowest points of my life. And then it was like, Oh wait, it, it was like a, a, like a little shake and, a sh- and, and it shook me. I said, okay, maybe, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I'm not so bad. So thank you for that. That's well, pretty, you, it was I, pretty cool. I mean, you did pay me 20 bucks to put you on. I, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, no, of course you're cheap, which is nice. I'm a cheap date. It's true. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really, I truly appreciate it. No, it's, it's quite actually a real honor for me to be asked to do it. I want to thank today's guest, C. Trent Rosecrans, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Trent on Twitter at C. Trent and read his work in The Athletic. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I make no money for doing this podcast and I rely on word of mouth. Also, check out my free writing substack at perlman.substack.com. Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me and remember... Keep writing.